To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. How much better to get wisdom? Something you can't see. Something that's not tangible. Something that you can't physically grasp. How much better is that than the things that you can grab? As I looked at this verse, I thought, you know what? It's not saying that money is bad. It's not saying, don't you dare get gold. Don't do silver. It'll kill you. It's not saying that gold is always bad. It's just saying that wisdom is always better. And when the two are in conflict and you can have one but not the other, get wisdom. Let go of that stuff, grab wisdom. When the two aren't, it can't belong on the same shelf, you get wisdom. One example, if you drop your eyes down to verse 19. Uh, again, pressing this stuff into real life. What does this look like in real life? Verse 19 gives you a picture. It's better to be of a lowly spirit, a humble spirit. It's better to be a humble person with the poor. It's better to be broke and humble than what? Than to divide the spoil with the proud. It's better to be poor but have your humility intact than to be a horrible, cocky, haughty, proudful person and have a bunch of money. That's, that's another way of saying wisdom, guys. Wisdom is better than gold. You ever find yourself rushing out of the house in the morning and you, and you skip breakfast and you yelled at the kid and you jumped in the car and you're angry at traffic and you're really tempted to flip that guy off, but oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And, and then you rush into work and then that thing is late and you, oh, I'm sorry, boss. And, and you get flustered on your way home. You're yelling at your wife because the food's not ready. And you back it up and you go, why am I so stressed? The job. The job, the job. Well, why is the job so stressful? I got to get that promotion. I got to not be the next guy that's canned. I got to be. And why is it a lot of times it's chasing the gold? Uh, gold is not bad to have. You want food on the table. You want a job. There's all kinds of problems. Don't be lazy. Go to work. No, you want that harvest to come in. You got to work it. Don't be like a, a, the sloth. Be like the ant. Be diligent, do your work, you get your money. There's all kinds of Proverbs that talk about the blessings that we get. And in the Old, old Covenant, it was tied to physical blessings, guys. Right now, it's a lot of prosperity gospel stuff, but in the Old Covenant, say, hey, if you obey, I'm going to bring rain, I'm going to bring sunshine, you're going to have food on the table, you're going to have cattle, you're going to have stuff, you're going to have riches, but you got to obey me. But even with all that, it's saying when the two are in conflict, let go of the fruit so you can get your hand out of the jar. It's a trap. Wisdom is always better. If you look at verse 18, the, the one right before we read, there's a common one. I mean, non-Christians say this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Right? So why is it bad to clutch after gold? Well, because it makes you cocky. And what happens when, you're, when, you're, when your pride goes up? You fall. So if you don't want to fall, don't be prideful. And if you don't want to be prideful, you might want to be careful with how you're handling money, how you're pursuing it, how you're clutching it or not. And so these, these proverbs tie together. He's giving you snippets and examples. What does it look like for the guy? What does it look like for the girl that, that are choosing gold over wisdom? 
it's the ones that go down that path and it becomes, they, they, they become prideful. They become, uh, they start steering off the wrong path and they, they're not following wisdom. They're going into foolishness and they keep bad company and they're losing that humility and they're going up in pride. That's what the snapshot looks like. And as I was preparing this, I thought to myself, you know, this would be a really awesome sermon to preach at one of those churches, one of those 150-year-old churches, like on the north shore of Chicago, where they all have PhDs and they all have the huge land and none of the wives have to work and all the kids that go to private schools. And Yeah, but just let them have it about gold, man, and your yachts and your, and your high-rises that you own and then I just close my eyes and start thinking about you all, and I'm like, it's kind of a normal snapshot of people. I mean, we kind of have a, nobody in here is probably poor, but we, we wouldn't, probably, we probably don't peruse yacht catalogs either. Um, and the temptation is to say, you know what, this is a really good proverb for Oprah, for Donald Trump, you know, for, for the people that just have so much stuff, and, and just remember, wisdom is go. And we look at it and we say, literal gold, I mean, I don't even have much gold. I mean, I don't even have any gold. I was talking about money. And it's not talking to rich people either. It's not talking to the rich. We think, this, you know, this isn't going on with me. This isn't my problem. I don't go home and chase gold. And we think it's not applicable to us because we don't think we're very wealthy. Okay. I thought that for myself as well. Then I realized, wait a minute. If I compare myself to Donald Trump, no, I'm not wealthy. But Trumps in the world are so rare. We just take the whole population of the world and compare yourself to the average person out there, you're rich. You got your internet in your pocket, you got your Facebook right at your hand, fingertips, and you got your car and your vehicle and you can commute, and I mean, we're wealthy. Or if, even if we don't want to compare ourselves to other people, compare yourself to the richest, most wealthy people in the past. What does your life look like compared to Julius Caesar of Rome? I mean, a man who can have anything he wants. Julius Caesar wishes he had three bathrooms in his house with the sewage that works the way it does. I mean, a refrigerator, you open it and stuff is frozen, stuff is it, and it, I don't have time. You can nuke it in three seconds. Everything's got warning labels on it. I mean, you, you go to a store and you got anything you want for cheap, relatively cheap. You've got vehicles, cars. You can drive to Florida, take a, take a weekend and drive as far as you want. And you, I mean, in the past, the most rich people couldn't do that. In the Bible, you're reading these super rich people and they're in these horse and carriages and they're lying down in there and people are feeding grapes, but it's the bumpiest ride ever. The horses smell. I mean, think of what it was like back then. They're the wealthiest person and they wish they could be sitting in an air-conditioned sanctuary like you are right now. We're wealthy, guys. We have a bunch of stuff. That's wealthy. And this isn't talking about uh, a certain percentage of wealth or how much gold. It's just saying in any situation, at any given point in time, if you have to choose between the two, choose wisdom. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean that only the wealthy people are faced with that choice. Everybody's faced with that choice. Because it's not how much you have. It's how much the stuff that you have has you. That's the issue. I mean, you can re meet a real wealthy person and they're real generous. You can meet a person who doesn't have much and they're the stingiest person you ever met in your life. 
No, I'm not going to. I'm constantly cutting corners, and, and they call it frugal. Well, they're just stingy. It's not how much you have. You know, the, you might be reaching in for one banana or a whole cluster of bananas. doesn't matter. If you need to get out of there and you can't let go, you're stuck and you're trapped. Whatever your income level is, the trap could keep you. So how do we know if we're trapped? How do we know if we're clutching? The test of whether you're clutching is whether you're willing to let go. The test of whether the stuff has you is if you can give the stuff away. That's the test. I'm going to give you two case studies. They're both found in Luke. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to. One's in chapter 18. One's in chapter 19. They're familiar stories. In Luke chapter 18, a rich man approaches Jesus. He says, Jesus, I want eternal life, and you're a good teacher, and I want to, I want to know what the down low is, and, you know, and, and, and Jesus says, well, I mean, you've read the Bible, right? I mean, you've, read the, you've gone to Sunday school in the synagogue, and you've memorized the verses. What's it say? Well, you know, the, the commandments and the do this, do that. I mean, I, I do all these things, Jesus. I do all these things. I'm a good person. Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. Now, this is a rich person. He was wealthy. He said, there's one thing you lack. If you take all your stuff, now if you notice, he doesn't say money. He just says stuff. The things that you have, your tables, your furniture, the extra room because you upgraded to that extra house. And then you realize, wow, I don't have enough furniture to fill all those rooms. So then you go and you buy more furniture to fill those rooms with furniture. And then the kids aren't allowed to sit on it. You know what I'm talking about? All that stuff that you accumulate, sell it. The extra car, the extra wagon, the extra whatever it is, sell that stuff. All the tables, all the carpets. All your equipment, all your tools in the garage, just take all that stuff and sell it to the poor. Sell it and take the proceeds and give it to the poor. And follow me. All that stuff you invest now, you'll have it later in heaven. I, try, I promise you. It's, Jesus tells you, you'll have that stuff in heaven. Come follow me. You'll have eternal life. A man has the opportunity to walk behind Jesus. Follow him. Learn from him. Be guaranteed eternal life. Be guaranteed a bigger, a bigger return on the investment of selling. And as Luke records the episode, he tells us the man walked away very sad because he was extremely wealthy. Then Jesus turns and looks at the disciples and looks at the people looking on, and they're like, wow, this guy just walked away. Some of the one, Frank goes to Joe, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it either. I would have. If you had all that stuff, there's no way. You spent your whole life accumulating all that stuff. You think you lay awake at night thinking, how I'm going to store this stuff, save this stuff, protect this stuff, hire security guards, keep, and you got the Brinks truck all mapped out. And, I mean, everything, you wouldn't give it up. And while they're thinking that, Jesus turns to them and says, it is so difficult for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like taking a whole camel and trying to stick them through an eye of a needle. That's how hard it is. Why? Because you have money? No, because it has you. That's the problem. You're clutching it like that monkey in the vase and you can't, you can't get it out. All you have to do is let go and you're free, my friend. I can't. And so that wealthy ruler was in a trap. Now here's the interesting thing. The disciples said, well, Jesus, where's any hope for the rest of us? You know why that's interesting? The rest of them, they were fishermen. And they left their nets. So they're broke. 
I mean, you remember when they're walking through the fields and the, the Pharisees are like, hey, it's the Sabbath, you're not, or that's the stuff that's for the Levites. You can't be eating that. Hey, we're hungry. <laughs> we're, some broke, we're some broke dudes. I don't have a place to lay my head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I don't. And neither did the disciples because they followed this guy. They said, Jesus, where is their hope for any of us? In other words, they recognize that it doesn't matter how much stuff you have. Any stuff that you have, it's easy to worship it. Any stuff that you have and you're not willing to give it up, it's a trap. Well, Jesus, how is there hope for any of us? And he said, it's impossible for you. It's impossible for you to give up stuff. It's not possible for you to take the lower paying job to do more kingdom work. It's not possible. But with God it is. The very next chapter, God does an amazing thing to show off. Okay? This little man that everybody despised, he was not just a tax collector. Okay? Now, he cheated his own people. That means he was a Jewish person implementing a Roman tax. And they hate the Roman oppression, right? He was implementing it. Not only was he implementing that tax, but he was given permission to skim off the top, charge you a little bit extra so he can pocket some money and then give the rest of it to Rome. And now he's living rich off of you. They hated the tax collectors. But he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. I mean, maybe because of his small stature, he just had this sort of, uh, what do you call that, complex where you're just trying to, you know, gain in elsewhere because you just want to be a big man. You know, you want to be a big man. He's tired of being, being made fun of, and he was always picked last for kickball, and he was always he was picked on, and he never got a date, you know. And, and the one time he had the high school dance, it was awkward. You know, he's just at this life, and he just chose money. I don't care if I have to rip my people off. I don't care if I have to step on people's toes. I'm choosing money, and he became a chief tax collector, and he was good at it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made it to the top. But Jesus had his curiosity peaked, and he, he would peer through the crowds, and one day it was so crowded he couldn't see, and the, the little guy that he was, he couldn't see Jesus. He just wants to see him. So he climbs a sycamore tree. Jesus sees this guy hanging off a branch of the sycamore tree, and Jesus makes his way over to him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. That's how you know Jesus had clout, right? You just walk up to anybody, you, dinner, 5 o'clock, make it good. You know, I'm about to start doing that. Like, hey, steak tomorrow, lunchtime. No, I'm not going to do that. Jesus said, I, I want to have dinner. He said, yeah, sure. Now the crowd started going, oh, Jesus is going to have dinner at his house? He's a sinner. How could you have dinner at his house? Well, Jesus goes and has dinner at his house. And that, we don't know the conversation that took place. We don't know what happened in that interchange. But at some point along the dinner time, Zacchaeus stands up. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'm going to take half of all my stuff and give it away. And not only that, everybody that I've robbed, I'm going to take an account. I'm going to go back to my ledger and I'm going to figure out every single person that I've defrauded. And I'm going to pay him back four times. So on the first line, you might go, half? What about the other half? Yeah, the other half to pay everybody back four times. You know what Jesus said? Hey, you're a true believer. You're a true son of Abraham. You have eternal life. Eternal life has come to this house. The rich man walked away from eternal life because he couldn't let go of his stuff. Zacchaeus let go of his stuff, and Jesus said, you got eternal life. Well, what does that mean? In order to get saved, give all your money up? No. 
But what you do with money is a reflection of what's going on inside your heart. If you're truly a believer, it's going to show in whether you clutch money. If you're a, a professing Christian and you remember the date that you were baptized, you remember all your verses that you memorized, and you, and you go to a faithfully attend Sunday, and, and all the things that the pastor encourages you to do and wants you to do, and you do all those things, but your checkbook is telling a different story, you might want to revisit your relationship with the Lord. I mean, you might be one of those people that with your body and your left hand is doing all this Christian stuff, but your hand is stuck in a jar somewhere. And it's not because you have thousands and thousands of dollars saved. It could be just a meager living, but you're clinging to it. Those two case studies, one person walked away and lost eternal life. The other person was granted eternal life. In their lives, the stuff that they cling to and, the, and, and following Jesus with their everything came into conflict. One of them chose this one and let Jesus go. One of them chose Jesus and let the stuff go. And Jesus is saying, the one that was able to choose wisdom, the one that was able to see that wisdom is better than gold, that understanding, understanding who God is, understanding why it's so important to follow Him, understanding why humility is always better than pride, understanding that is always better than gold, silver, stuff. And so this proverb hits home. You guys remember when Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. This is in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The two don't, you can't serve both. You can serve God and have money, but you can't serve God and serve money. That's the difference we need to understand. All of us need to have money. Do you serve money? In other words, there's this little throne, this proverbial throne in your heart, right, that we talk about then Jesus needs to sit up there. But what happened with the rich man who walked away is that he wanted Jesus to sit up there with something else. And Jesus said, you can't. This is why no matter how many laws you keep, I know there hasn't been an internal change in you. You know how I know? Because something else is sitting on that throne up there, and I don't share a throne. So me or the money, which one? Choose now. And he walked away. He made his choice. Jesus gets dethroned. Money stays at the top. Zacchaeus made the choice. I have all this stuff that I worship. I've defrauded my own people. I betrayed my own friends and neighbors to keep this thing called money at the top of the throne in my heart. And now I meet Jesus, and I realize that he's in competition for this thing, and he's not going to share it. And he stands up at the table and he says, I'm dethroning the thing that I worship. It wasn't money. It was power. It wasn't the stuff that jingles. It was fame. It was popularity. It was... To have stature, even though he didn't have stature, I'm guessing was the thing going on in his heart. And we call it money, we call it things, but really what we're putting at the top of the throne of our heart is ourselves. And that's the, that's the age-old trap of the enemy. Jingle some stuff in front of you, cling to this, to amass wealth for yourself or to keep yourself comfortable. And you can't put someone else before you because... You have to cling to this stuff. 
serving one will derail you from serving the other. You can grab onto the Lord and cling to Him, or you can, you can cling to material things and comfort. But you can't cling to both. That doesn't mean that to be a Christian you have to be dirt poor. You can be a Christian and be wealthy. It's just hard to do that. It takes extra grace to do that. Zacchaeus was a, was a marvelous example of how awesome God is, but it's not normal. That's not normal to stand up and say, I'm giving half of everything. It's not normal. It takes the grace of God. But you can't cling to both. When they come into conflict with one another, you need to choose wisdom. Wisdom is better. And how do you know, just like Zacchaeus and just like what Jesus wanted the ruler to do, how do you know if you're clutching, how do you know if you're trapped? You have to check your ability to give. Giving is the antidote to greed. Letting go is the solution to the trap. Let go. How do you know you're ready to let go? Give it to somebody. That's how you know. And I got to tell you, there's been moments in my life where I give something, like I talked about the chair a couple weeks ago, and I gave it, and then moments later, I'm like, should I have done that? You know, you're like, yes. It's a chair, right? But it's just things. It's just things. There's stuff. And if it's difficult to let go of, there might be something wrong going on inside of you, and you're trying to clutch to something else when you're supposed to only be clinging to the Lord. So give where, give when, give how. Here's where it gets tricky. It'd be easy to put up a, a chart and give you a percentage. Um, I know many of you tithe, um, which is, you know, that, that's, a, that's a difficult thing because we, 10% is a really good rule of thumb. But if you really add everything up in the Old Testament, there were numerous tithes I mean, they got hit in the front end, they got hit later, and then they got hit later. It goes like 20%. So, I mean, 10%, that's nice and everything. But it, it would just be easy, right, to just put a chart, put a percentage, and, be like, just bow down to that number, and that's what it is. Let's not do that. Let's ask a more important question. Instead of going, okay, how much? This percentage? Okay, I'll do that percentage. And, oh, it hurts, but at least I do that percentage, and I don't have to do any inside heart work. I just do this external budget thing on my Excel spreadsheet. No, let's do the heart work. And whatever percentage flows from the internal change, let, that, let it be that percentage. Let it be that kind of giving. Um, there are many, many ways to apply giving. I mean, give to your neighbor. You walk outside of the restaurant and you love this cheesecake that you bought and you're going to save it and you go home and with the milk and everything. And then you see this guy hasn't eaten in a week. So I give it. I mean, yes, this applies in so many different scenarios. But let's, let's, let's bring it down to our immediate cause right now as a church. And for those of you who have been here for a while, um, I've been here four years. I've preached on giving to the church once out of four years of sermons. I don't like to preach money. I don't like to preach give. I don't like to preach, come on, guys, give. There's so many churches out there that just peddle the gospel for money, and I'm so averse to it. I don't like preaching about money. But as I'm reading through the Proverbs and I'm looking at this verse, I think it would, it would be, uh, I would be remiss to not apply it to our church. Now, we just talked about we're going to this relaunch, as in the, in the, we're going to the theater and, and, and these kind of things that are going um, it's not a permanent change. What I've been communicating to some of you is that um, it's not a permanent change because we're not leaving our building. The facilities that we're in right now won't accommodate growth. And they don't really, if you think about it, accommodate who we are right now. Because if you have a bad leg and you want to use the bathroom, you're going to just wish that I hurry up. Right? 
I mean, so there are many things that we, we want to fix, but we don't have the money to fix. So we go to the theater and we've got to raise money, right? Can't raise money without giving. Now, as I ask for you guys to start thinking about giving to the church, I want to put two things out there that I want to be really clear on. First, it doesn't affect my salary. I know you guys know that, but I just need to say it. It doesn't affect my salary. If, if suddenly next week we got a million dollars in the mail, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't just pull up in a different car. My salary's set. It's not, a, it's not based on a percentage of what comes in. I don't make commission off my sermons, okay? It's set. The second thing I want you guys to realize, and this is sadly not true of every church, is that when we have our membership meetings, we pull out those sheets of paper and we go over where all the dollars and cents are going. If we bought a printer, you know about it. If we change the carpet, you know about it. If we hired a Stanley steamer to come in and steam the carpet, you know about it. And so the money that comes in, there's accountability built in. And I want you guys to know that because sometimes, maybe it's bad, I don't know, but sometimes I'm at the Christian bookstore or I'm at another church or something, and they're like, we're going to feed the hungry, we're going to feed the world, we're going to solve the hunger crisis, give money. And you kind of put in a basket and you're just wondering how much of it actually makes it over to, to that, how, you know, and then how much of it actually makes it to the agency and then pays those guys behind the desk. Like how much of it actually going into a bowl to feed that picture of the kid that's in the... You know what I'm saying? You're just not sure. And yeah, you trust them and you give, but here there's that full openness. The members of this church have their eyes on the sheet and you see where it's going. Um, and for us to grow as a church and make plans, money moves things. Uh, money is used to, to do ministry. You guys know that. And so as we do that, I want you to think of this next step. Some of you may be sitting there and you really want to give and you're like, boy, I He's so right. This is so true. I want, really want to give. I wish the plate hadn't passed already, right? Because I want to give. I intentionally didn't want to change the, the passing of the plate to the end. Because I don't want the action point to be, today on this Sunday, give a little extra, and then it goes out the window. I want you guys to go home. If you're married, sit down with your spouse. If you're single, sit down by yourself with the computer. Open up whatever it is that you use to keep your budget. And I want you to start critically thinking how you can up your game on giving. One way, the best way to know whether we're clutching is our level of giving. And there are so many causes to give to. You could give to Living Water. You could give to you know, World Vision. You could give to so many different things. But right now, there's a big need at this church. And when people ask me, how long are we going to be the theater? How much are you going to give? I mean, it depends on how much and how many um, before we can come back here and do what we need to do with this place so that we're not in the rental situation anymore. So if we can, if we can concert our efforts and give sacrificially, then we can go home and we'll ask ourselves, am I a clutcher? You know, is my hand in a jar? Am I, am I, I'm not filthy rich, but am I, do I have something in my heart? Well, look at your giving. And as you're looking at your giving, one way to apply it is to give to the church. Some of you maybe uh, are trying to reach a 10% level and you haven't been able to reach it. But if you just take a step back and look at all the stuff that you have, I mean, is there something that can give? Is there something that can be sacrificed for the kingdom of God and sacrifice the comfort of yourself? I think many of us, if we really take a look, the answer is yes, there are things that I can sacrifice. So if you look at your spending, look at your saving, and look at your giving, that's a great place to start.
It's wise to supply and equip the church through funding, but it means losing some of your gold. It means choosing wisdom in a lot of cases. And if it's wise to supply and equip the church through funding, then it's true that this verse says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? Let me just leave you with this. Choose the Lord and his kingdom, and he will show you better things than anything money could ever buy. Let's pray. Father, we... There's so many things on our wish lists. There are so many things we have that we feel are necessities. And Lord, some things have become so commonplace, they feel like necessities, Lord. But there's so much that the church can do if we get a boost. There's so much that we can do. If like an axe, we, we maybe sell some stuff and put our stuff together in one pot for the church so we can meet needs, so we can um, adjust what we need to adjust here, facility-wise, building-wise. There's so many things that we want to plan for and plan ahead to do, but without uh, generous giving, they can't be done. And Lord, you've given us so many things. When we sit and ask, how come we don't have A, B, or C as a church, help us to think first what we have that might be replacing those things that the church could use. Lord, I thank you that I'm preaching to the choir with so many people in here. We have so many generous givers that if it weren't for them, um, I probably would have never been brought on in the first place. If it weren't for them, doors would have closed a long time ago. Thank you so much for the generosity, the the big givers. Um, And we know uh, that you teach us in your word that you will bless them. Uh, You will bless them multiple times over in eternal life and the life to come. And right now we don't know who those heroes are that have been floating us this whole time. We just ask that you continue to bless them. And Lord, for the rest of us who it's a little bit harder for us to be givers, it's a little bit harder for us to cut corners so that we could give more to the kingdom, uh, we ask that you would give us the grace to trust you. Um, And so that as we receive from you, that we would be willing to give. And as we give more, we receive more from you. And, and not receive more money from you. We receive life and peace and humility. And we, we receive wisdom. And we want to chase after wisdom and get wisdom. And we ask that you would bless us with that as you make us into givers. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to do now is I'm going to close you in worship. No. Uh,